0: Let's turn our attention to God's Word this morning and turn to uh, Acts chapter 18 this morning. Acts chapter 18, and we've been in a series that we've entitled Unstoppable, uh, looking at God's movement and work uh, through the New Testament church in the book of Acts. And we are learning... Uh, as we see their example and the impact that they had that though they experienced some difficulties at times though they experienced persecution the work and the ministry that they did was truly unstoppable because it was empowered by the Holy Spirit of God and we too have that Holy Spirit not only residing in us as individuals but corporately as a local church that has been given the commission of going out into all the world and do exactly what the early church did and that was to make disciples the final words of Jesus were to make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We've seen that done this morning. And then our job is to do what we're going to do now, and that is to teach those disciples what it means to obey the commands of Jesus Christ. And we've seen the Apostle Paul doing that. And in these last chapters, uh, we've seen Paul go out on two missionary journeys so far. We studied the first missionary journey, and we are in the midst of his second missionary journey. His second missionary journey began in the city of Antioch, which is in modern-day Syria. And he starts out there. He had just had that uh, breakup between uh, him and Barnabas. And uh, as you can see on the map uh, before you, he starts out in Antioch, and what he begins to do is make his way through Galatia and Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And in Lystra and Derby, the communities there, He picks up a new disciple Timothy, a young man uh, who God was going to use to be a pastor uh, of the church of Ephesus, which we'll get to uh, later on in uh, in our study. In fact, even next week, we'll start talking about the ministry of Ephesus. But what they do is they make their way through Asia, and they get a um, vision from the Lord. Paul receives this vision to head to Macedonia, and that's where they go, which is, of course, modern-day Greece now, and they head to the city of Philippi, where they see three conversions take place, the conversion of The conversion of a a demon-possessed slave girl and and the Philippian jailer who is impacted by the miracles and the example of Paul and Silas as uh, they are in prison. Then they make their way to Thessalonica and they have uh, some good ministry go there. But Paul is run out of Thessalonica and uh, told by the mob never to come back. And he heads down to Berea and Berea is where we see a hunger for God's word that the Bereans studied the scriptures daily and enthusiastically wanting to know exactly what the word of the Lord had to say to them and the impact that it would have in their lives. And then we learn that uh, Paul heads out on his own to the city of Athens, the capital city of Greece, the seat of all philosophy and all higher thinking and and debate. And he gives an incredible message on what is called Mars Hill at the Areopagus. And he proclaims that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Yahweh is the God whom they have long sought for the unknown God who they are now called to worship, because one day God will hold every man and woman and child accountable for their worship to Him. And then he heads out uh, from Athens to the city of Corinth, and that's where we find ourselves this morning. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 18, starting in verse 1. I'm going to read what takes place in Corinth. We'll ask for a word of prayer, and then I'll jump into our series again this morning. It says, After this, Paul left Athens... "...and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and he worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks." When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul accompanied them, uh, accomp- Paul was accompanied with the word, testifying to the Jews that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. For now I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justus, a worshiper of God. And Paul stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to uh, worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to them, the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourself. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Let's stop there and let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And we thank you for the impact that you've had uh, right before us through the ministry of Paul. It's a reminder, Lord, that you can do amazing things through just a single person. If we would just follow you and we would uh, be open to where you would lead and if we would uh, be filled with the Spirit that you so generously give to us, that we too could experience some of these same things. But Lord, let us recognize and know that even with great ministry, can come great great difficulty. And I know, Lord, that there are many who desire to serve You and to honor You, that are doing all that they can to pursue You in spirit and in truth, and they find themselves downtrodden and broken, uh, lives filled with great opposition against them. And Lord, I pray today as we see from Paul's example that we might know and understand what it means to be a follower of yours, not only in the good times when everything is going well, but in the difficult times when we want to give up. So Lord, I pray that you would speak through me this morning and that you would use it to empower lives, we ask. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. As we open up chapter 18, we come to a part of the story that many of us maybe don't fully recognize. And one of the reasons why is we read through these passages so quickly, and we do them with a sense of rose-colored glasses upon our face. And that is that we look to the Apostle Paul and say the guy was a machine, he was a robot, he, he, he was a superhero, and while he was great and while he was an apostle, he was 100% human. And he was just like you and me and what that meant was that he endured as he endured difficult times in ministry those difficulties didn't just bounce off him they dug in deep into his very being the things that were said about him the physical agony that was brought to him those things left scars both physical and emotional and they would carry uh, throughout his life he would lament these wrongs that were done against him over and over again and we learned this morning that he leaves Athens and he heads into Corinth and what we get is a picture into the heart of Paul, as he enters the city, and I gotta be honest with you, it's not altogether that pretty. But I'm thankful that the Bible speaks sometimes to the unpretty, if you will, the ugly things in our lives, the times when we're down, the times when we're broken, the times uh, that we don't feel like we want to smile and say the joy of the Lord is our strength. You see, Paul has endured some difficult times. He has received a message from God to go into Macedonia and to proclaim the Word of God. And God has authenticated and validated that vision by showing him converts. Not a lot of converts, but converts nonetheless. And little does Paul know that the impact that he's going to have in Philippi, Thessalonica and and Corinth are going to have long-lasting ramifications because we're going to see churches developed in those places where letters are going to be written to those churches, the letter to the Philippians, the letter to the Thessalonians, uh, the first and second letters of Thessalonians, and then the letter to the Corinthians, both first and second Corinthians. And we're going to see, over a long period of time, the impact that these churches are going to have in the lives of their communities. But Paul doesn't know that. Paul doesn't know, like God does, the end from the beginning, in the beginning from the end, and he's asking the question, is it all worth it? And that's a great question for Paul to ask, because while there have been converts, let's remember that in Philippi, he is beaten and flogged and thrown into prison. Now, he does get released in a miraculous way through the earthquake that releases him from prison but he's kicked out of the city of Philippi nonetheless. He goes to Thessalonica and he has some uh, profitable conversations with people and some conversions take place only to be reviled and rejected once again and kicked out of the city of Thessalonica. He heads down to Berea where there's some good ministry happening and right when he feels like he's got some respite for his soul, people come from Thessalonica down to Berea And they kick him out of Berea after beating him once again. And so Paul enters into Athens, probably a physically exhausted man. And he comes into Athens and now he's all by himself. Uh, Titus, or not Titus, Timothy and uh, Silas um, have le- have been left in Berea and Thessalonica to start the church and to disciple the new converts that are there. And we are told Paul enters into the city of Athens by himself. He does some sightseeing in Acts chapter seventeen, and he sees this uh, statue to an unknown god, and he gets an opportunity to stand really before a public opinion trial at the Areopagus, where he proclaims claims that Yahweh God is the unknown God, and He is the God over all gods, and you better get right with God, because God is one day going to judge the living and the dead. And as a result of that, we see that some people, at the end of chapter 17, believe. Not many. In fact, Luke just names a couple individuals who uh, obey the call of repentance and believe. But it sure does seem as he enters into Corinth, not only is he a physically tired and broken man, but he is emotionally spent as well. On this weekend after Thanksgiving, it would be easy for many of you to be physically tired. Maybe you hosted lots of people this week. Uh, Maybe uh, you were running around doing all kinds of uh, decorating around your house and all of that as our family was doing. You might be physically exhausted this morning. But some of you find yourself, because you had family around and all of that, you're emotionally exhausted too. Paul finds himself really spent. And there are some in our place today who are serving and honoring God. And you've been beat up all over the place. And you're exhausted. And those times of exhaustion cause your hair to turn grayer or maybe to fall out as some have that issue. I don't know who, but some do. Okay? Okay. Some of you have wrinkles because of the turmoil and the struggle that has come. And you can name some of the different trials and tribulations of each wrinkle that appears on your face. Some of you find yourself in the middle of the night, unable to sleep, though you are exhausted because of the anxiety and the concern that you have. Some of you know what it's like to have an enemy. An enemy who does, desires nothing more than to bring you down. To destroy your reputation to take away the life as you know it and if you find yourself here this morning then you find a commonplace with the Apostle Paul the Apostle Paul enters Corinth I want you to know in one of the darkest hours I believe he would ever face as a apostle of of Jesus Christ now Jesus had told them these days were gonna come and Jesus has told his disciples and us included that those days and those seasons were going to come so don't buy into this idea that when you become a saved individual when you become a Christian that life becomes very very easy in fact the Bible tells us the opposite, that many of us will endure great struggles and tribulation and persecution so that we might share in the sufferings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, a favorite uh, preacher of mine, one of the greatest preachers of all time, put it this way. He says, good men are promised tribulations in this world, and ministers may expect a larger share than others. Why? So that they may learn sympathy with the Lord's suffering people, and so maybe fitting shepherds of an ailing flock. And what he's saying there is so true of the Apostle Paul. If Paul just had good things happening to him, he would have no place of um, connection with the many, many Christians who are struggling through all types of trials and tribulations themselves. Likewise, as a leader within the church, you should expect more opposition and more tribulation because God is going to use you through those trials to be of comfort, to be of care, to be of a shepherding good to those who find themselves in those situations. So Paul is going through a test. And he's enduring a great amount of difficulty so that God can transform him to make him a better shepherd and a better follower of his for the people he is going to minister to. So he comes in, Acts 18, he comes into the city of Corinth. There are three words that I want you to know about the city of Corinth. Number one, it's a cosmopolitan city it's a cosmopolitan city it's a large city it's a city with all kinds of ethnic backgrounds all kinds of social economic statuses within the city it was a well-known city it's southwest of of where he found himself in Athens it was one of the major suburbs if you will uh, of Athens and in many ways it would probably be very similar uh, to uh, from Chicago to about Joliet a good-sized city back in the day Joliet used to sit by itself and was a city unto itself, but southwest of the city of Athens, a much bigger city. But it had all kinds of people. The second thing that we need to know about uh, Corinth was that it was a commercial center. It was uh, situated on an isthmus, which is a narrow piece of land between two bodies of water. And it was used as a commercial port uh, for uh, sea travelers and sea merchants to bring their fares and their goods uh, to be traded and sold. But then it It had an ability uh, for goods to move across land, which sea travel at the time was very difficult, across land to go from the Aegean Sea to the Adriatic Sea. And so the city of Corinth was a busy place where commerce was taking place. So it was a cosmopolitan city. It was a commercial city. But I want you to know the most important thing is it was a carnal city. It was a carnal city. The very name Corinthian uh, meant that you were a pervert. You would use that phraseology in the Roman Empire, and you would say, you're living like a Corinthian. And when you told someone that, you didn't high-five them and say, gee whiz, thanks for the pick-me-up. You were aghast. Why? Because what you were being told is you are a pervert. Because all level of perversions and all level of, of vices were taking place in Corinth. It was the Las Vegas, if you will, Uh, of the ancient world, where what you did in Corinth stayed in Corinth. And as a result, uh, people would come and and pursue all kinds of fantasies, all kinds of uh, depraved ideas, uh, pursuing much, what much had to do with sexuality. And one of the big reasons why was in the middle of Corinth, and I've got a picture for you, is the Temple of Aphrodite. And these are the ruins of what is left of that temple. Uh, In modern day, someone's enjoying, their trip to Corinth it looks like there and you can see it's a beautiful place Uh, You see the mountain ranges uh, along the the back end of that that photo. But that temple was a place where the worship of love and sex and and all kinds of depravity were practiced. In fact, at one point, around the time of the Apostle Paul, that temple had more than 10,000 both male and women prostitutes that were there so that you could, quote-unquote, worship Aphrodite in the pursuit of your own pleasure. It would seem that a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Pharisee of Pharisees, Jewish man, Paul, would not want to be found dead in this place, let alone beat up, broke down, and hurting. But that's exactly where God has them at what is the lowest point in Paul's life. Now you say, Tim, where do you get that? We've just read through Acts 18, the first 17 verses, and I didn't hear anything about depression, I didn't hear anything about brokenness, I didn't hear anything about that. So I want to help you understand the entrance into Corinth from what the Bible says through Paul's own words. Luke doesn't talk about it, and here's why. I don't think Luke can read the mind and heart of the Apostle Paul, and so we need Paul to speak to it. So turn to, uh, in your Bibles, to 1 Corinthians, the first letter he would write to this church that would be established, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you've got a pew Bible this morning, you'll find our passage on page 952. So the book of Acts, you go to the right, you've got Romans. Go through the book of Romans to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. And Paul gives us a preview, or an insider view is maybe a better way to put it, of what he is going through and what he is enduring as a result of his visit from uh, the different places in Macedonia, including Athens. This is what he says, "...and when I came to you, brothers..." I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now I'll just stop there for a moment. He goes on in verse 4. And he says, and my speech, and my message, were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of spirit and of power, that your faith might not trust in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The first thing you need to recognize about Paul's entrance into Corinth is he's licking his wounds from his visit to Athens. He's just given a defense of Jesus Christ and of God the Father uh, at the most public place of debate, the Areopagus. And he has proclaimed his message. And as he proclaims it, three responses take place. Some believe. Some said we want to hear a little bit more about this new stuff you're teaching, Paul. But the text says many reviled and rejected him. And Paul seemingly is feeling like while he's an incredibly eloquent speaker, while he's an incredibly wise individual, according to the standards of the other group of individuals, they saw him as a foolish babbler, one who didn't know what he was talking about early on in my ministry I attended a a conference for pastors to work on our preaching and all of that and and I felt good about uh, my my job as a preacher and I went to this conference and and I went there with great excitement to learn and I got to be honest I felt like I went back to junior high because when I would present and I would share with what I was going to do and you got to remember I don't have the education like many I don't know the big words I misspell most of them anyway because hooked on phonics didn't work for me Me. And and I just got to be honest with you. I called Amanda midway through and I said, I want to come home like a little kid at camp. I said, man, they're ruthless. They, they they think nothing of me they in some ways are sarcastic about my approach to studying the scriptures and all that and i felt like the unpopular kid trying to get to the popular kids table and i felt like gosh i don't who needs this i'm just going to go and do my thing and and as long as you guys accept me i'm good to go and that's i think how paul is feeling he is feeling like man I, what a waste i am I can't talk with the persuasion or the eloquence that they do in Greece. They're talking about things that I don't even understand or know. And he finds himself coming in and he tells the Corinthians, listen, I didn't come with the eloquence maybe that the Greeks do. I didn't come with the eloquence that the Athenians do. But I came with a demonstration of the power of God working through a very broken person. But notice what he says in verse 3. He says, and when I was with you, And I was with you, he says, in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. So Paul enters Corinth with three feelings. Fear, a sense of weakness, speaking of physical weakness, and trembling. A fear of the unknown. And Some of you could describe your walk with God right now like that. You're full of fear. You're full of weakness. You're wondering, can I even continue to go on? And because of that, I am fearful. I am trembling about the future. And this passage helps us to understand exactly what's going on, because we're going to see the prescription of how we are to find God's grace when we are down and out. Because there will be times, as Christians, we're going to be down and out. There will be times where ministry and life, quite frankly, is very, very difficult. Amanda and I uh, have endured a a more difficult year this year uh, than probably any other one we've had, just through a set of circumstances and things. And there are times where where both Amanda and I just kind of want to just, as you probably do, throw up the white flag and say, I surrender, Uh, I give up. This is, at times, altogether too difficult. But what we're going to learn is Paul doesn't do that. And it serves as a model and a prescription of how we can go about uh, living life and following God, even when the going gets tough. So let's look at uh, some things I'm going to give you. You're going to die when I say the seven things that are not in your outline. We'll be out before the blizzard hits, I promise. All right? And so there are seven things that I want you to be be careful of. And I want you to recognize that these things, as they start to mount, uh, should be on your a tachometer. A tachometer is on your car that tells the amount of uh, um, uh, work the engine is doing. And so many of you have that, and you'll see that you find yourself, if you gun it really hard, you'll go into the red part of the dial. Paul is redlining. And he needs a respite. He needs to disengage. And I want you to see that our idea of disengaging, because this is what God doesn't give him, a vacation. He doesn't give him a vacation. But what he does is gives him some things to enable him to, to go on living life. And so beware or be careful when these things are hitting you. Number one, be careful when you are new to an area. Be careful when you are new to an area. Paul enters the city of Corinth. He doesn't know anybody there we have no knowledge that he had ever been there before he's new now he has been new to every area that he has been to thus far and so with every new arrival into a new city it's getting to know new people new customs uh... new geography And, and as a result of that you are always giving you're always working you're always on because it's not home have you ever recognized that living in the fox valley area for any amount of time things are easy you know the roads you know where the shops are you know people if a problem comes up with your car you know the mechanic to take it to you know where to go in a bind but when you're new to an area to a city you don't have any of that you don't have any connections and so as long as everything's going fine and you're on time and everything's running as it should it'll be fine I recently got an email from one of the many people that we've lost to out-of-state moves in this last year. And we were following up with uh, with them, and I asked them how things were going, and they said, Pastor Tim, uh, both my husband and I are really struggling right now. And we don't know anybody here. We haven't found a real good church to connect with yet. And, and we don't, haven't really gotten to know our neighbors. And And the city is is so spread out, it's not like the Fox Valley area close. They're in a larger suburban area. And they said, quite frankly, we were just talking the other day, we're starting to regret that we even moved. And maybe some of you have moved here and are feeling that way. When you are new to an area, beware, because discouragement can come. That's where Paul finds himself. Number two, beware when you're alone. When you're alone. We are told in the text that Paul is alone. We are told in verse 5 that his team has not arrived yet from Macedonia. In fact, in Acts 17, verses 14 and 15, we are told then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way by the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there and those who conducted those who transported Paul brought him as far as Athens and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible They departed so Paul says Timothy and Silas You're gonna stay in Thessalonica, and you're gonna get things started, but don't delay Because I don't want to be alone now. There are some people Who thrive on being alone and I don't mean listen I don't mean that you like a night away from anybody so you can do what you want to do. I'm good Just think about this. I'm good for 24 hours, and then my extroverted self falls apart Okay, so a man that can be gone for 24 hours after that 24 hours. I'm calling saying come back now Okay, I'm lonely someone needs to help me. All right. And some of you can last longer than 24 hours. We call you loners. It's not a good word, okay? But some of you can can last longer. Most people aren't hermits. That is, they want to live life completely apart. I believe, and this may be the extroverted self, I believe God has built us and created us to be with people. The Bible says and I got a biblical proof to prove that introverts that the Bible says it's not good for man or woman to be alone and so God wants us in community I will say this theologically we believe in a God who's in community he's in Trinity Father Son and Holy Spirit as they communicate and commune with one another Paul didn't want to be alone And many of us don't want to be alone. And so maybe you find yourself alone, and you're discouraged, and you're broken. And one of the reasons why is God did not create you to do this thing alone. He wants you with people who love you, care for you, nurture you, fill you up in times of discouragement, sometimes knock you down from places of pride. He wants you around people. So be careful. If you're new to an area, if you're alone, if money's tight, if money's tight how many of us have been discouraged that money uh, becomes something that is is, is uh, strapped you know something that is uh, not in great uh, plenty here's what we see with paul he's got to work as he enters into corinth now why does he have to work because for the first time in his ministry there isn't money and so he's got to go to work he doesn't complain about it but we recognize he enters into a city where he's brand new, where he's alone, and now he's got to find a job, and he's got to start working at a job to pay for the ministry that he's going to do. Now, we also know this because we are told that... Uh, and I keep saying Titus. Silas and Timothy, if you put them together, it is Titus. Silas and Timothy bring money from the Macedonians. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, we are told that Paul is filled with joy when that gift comes. And so it had gotten really tight for him. And discouragement was starting to set in. I I remember my parents worked really, really hard in the business that they were a part of. And they would work so hard, and the money would be so sparse. And the feeling of, are we ever going to get ahead? So beware, when money is tight, that discouragement is not too far around the corner. The next thing, number four, is when opposition is hard. Paul enters the city, and he has endured a season of great difficulty. He no doubt is carrying the scars of his beatings. We don't know to what level those beatings have impaired him. What I mean by that is that these weren't just bruises and contusions, but is he now limping as a result? Does he have less use, which would have made work a more difficult thing? We don't know, but we also know he was hated, reviled by people. And if you have ever been hated by someone, you know the emotional stress that it weighs on you, that your mind goes to places where it says, I wonder what they're saying about me right now. I wonder what evil things they're saying about me or my motives or 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 my very existence. I wonder how I'm being cursed by these individuals. He knew he was a hated man. And when opposition is difficult or hard, You are going to be discouraged. We're told that in verse 6 of chapter 17, that in Athens he was opposed and reviled. People hated his guts. They hated his guts so much that when he was in Berea, the Thessalonians didn't even like that he was in Berea, so they sent a group of people to rid him from Berea, to get him out of the area code once and for all. You will become discouraged. When you face opposition. How about you're discouraged because of too few successes? Where successes are not as numerous as you would like. Paul has given himself wholly to the work that he has gotten. And what has it gotten him? A handful of converts. If you take the ones who are named, including the households, it is less than 40 converts. Now you'd say, wow, if I had 40 converts, that would be great. But think about this. You have sold yourself out. You have left everything back home. And you've gone on a journey. And you've gone from city to city proclaiming the very answer that you know brings life and eternity with God. And only a handful of people are believing. Uh, Some of you might say that's a half uh, full cup. I think for many who are involved, especially in ongoing ministry, if that's all you have to show after years away you're going to feel pretty discouraged. And Paul's gone into a new city, new to uh, the people there, and he's sitting there going, is it really worth it? And what that brings is the final discouragement, and that is tomorrow seems bleak. Does your tomorrow seem bleak? Paul says he enters Corinth with trembling. Not hope, not excitement about the future, but Trembling. And some of you right now find yourself there. Maybe it's because you're alone. Maybe it's because there's opposition. Maybe it's because finances are tight. Maybe it's because you haven't experienced the successes that you wish you'd had up to this point. And you look forward and your future looks very, very bleak. And you're discouraged. This is where Paul finds himself as he enters Corinth. And so get out of your mind that Mr. Mr. Awesome Paul has it all going for him. He is a discouraged, dejected, and probably depressed individual wanting to give up and throw in the towel. And he's in a city filled with depravity, and he goes to the synagogue, and exactly what he's done before. And what does he get? More opposition. They kick him out of the synagogue. So what is he supposed to do? Well, this brings me finally to the outline, brothers and sisters. When life brings you or le- leaves you down and out, I want you to remember some things. I want you to remember some things. Number one, when you find yourself, and you will at some point find yourself, whether it's today or next week or next year, at some point in your Christian life, you're going to wonder, is it worth it? And your response needs to be to go to Acts 18 and follow the prescription. Prescription number one. When life leaves you down and out, find friends. Find friends. Notice in the text, it says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And it tells us that then he starts to work with them because they both share the common trade of tent making. So Paul's alone in the city. Paul doesn't have anybody. Does Paul say that the people of Corinth, or the Christians in Corinth, the God-fearers of Corinth, aren't welcoming people? Or that it's God's will that he go it alone? Some people enter into churches, and because someone doesn't say hello to them, they walk out and say, well, they're just not very friendly people, so I'm not going to do Christian fellowship. I'm going to do my life all by myself. Paul, it says, goes and finds them, and he seeks them out. He goes to find them and see them. He is uh, proactive in finding helpers in this thing called life. We call them friends. Now the friends, now what makes a friend? I want you to notice what the text says. The first thing that makes a friend is that you have some level of common experience with them. Paul has been chased out of a city, numerous cities. What about Aquila and Priscilla? They were chased out of their city, the city of Rome, because they were Jews. And so they have a commonality. They both know what it's like to be hated. They both know what it's like to be pushed out of the places that they wish they could stay. Number two, we see what friendship is all about. Friendship is helping one another. Paul was without money. Aquila and Priscilla had work for him, and they put Paul to work. And it enabled Paul, because we don't see Paul go hungry, we don't see him go without clothes, we don't see him go without a home. He gets exactly what he needs from his friends in his hour of need. We need friends like that. Friends that have common experiences with us, and friends who know our area of need and fill us up. Can I tell you, in this world, you have lots of people who will take withdrawals from your bank. They will take withdrawals because they need them. And sometimes they'll be thankful for it, and other times they'll just take them. But you need people who are going to put deposits into you, who are going to encourage you and fill you up so that you can go on with life. Paul finds that in Aquila and Priscilla. He finds people that begin to fill him up, who encourage him, to go on. Find friends when you're discouraged. Number two, we need to recognize once we find some friends, we need to not get frustrated. We see in the text that Paul goes into the synagogue and it tells us in verse six, after preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, they say, we don't want it. Thanks, but no thanks. And what does Paul do? Listen, don't try to sanctify this. He says, I'm done with you. May God have mercy on your souls out of here. All right? Drops the mic and heads out. I want you to know that this is not some righteous indignation that he has. Is he right in the sense that they had rejected it? Sure. Sure should we when someone rejects our uh, overtures of the gospel when we're at the workplace in the cafeteria someone says yeah no i'm not really uh, i'm not all that interested in jesus well your blood is on your own head my friend may god have mercy on your soul drop the mic and walk out no in fact we are told that when we present the gospel of jesus christ we are to do so with gentleness long-suffering and respect patience is a virtue in our evangelism And Paul becomes impatient. And I think the reason why Paul becomes impatient and has this outburst is he's frustrated. How many times have you shared the gospel with someone over and over again only for them to reject it? And Paul's tired of telling people the gospel and them rejecting it. And this is a reminder to each and every one of us. When the going gets tough, the human side of us will want to be frustrated will want to retort, if you will, with angry statements. With statements that we don't actually believe. Paul would regret this statement. In the book of Romans, he would say, I would give up my own life if my brethren would just believe. He loved his brethren. And here he's thrown them up the proverbial creek without a paddle and said they're on their own. And in Romans he says, listen, I'll do anything. I'll go to hell for them if that means they get to go to heaven. In our frustration, many times we will say or do things that we really don't believe. So be careful. Don't get frustrated. Number three, don't let the unknown frighten you. Don't let the unknown frighten you. He enters in with weakness, trembling, and he's saddened. It says that he enters into Corinth. Now, he's worried about the future. What does the future hold? I'm going to go into Corinth, and this broken record's going to happen again. I'm going to preach the gospel. Some will believe, not as many as I want. Some will be ambivalent, and some will reject. Those who reject will rise up, they'll kick my butt, they'll beat me down, and then they'll throw me out of town. And here we go again, round and round we go on this merry-go-round. Doesn't seem very hopeful, right? But he has every reason to believe that. Because that's happened exactly in every one of the cities that he has traveled into. It's a broken record for him. And he's sitting there going, when is the beating going to come? When am I going to endure more hardship? And when you get to that place... Where you're like, listen, something bad's going to happen this week. You are filled with an unknown that frightens you. Because you're not filled with hope. And in that moment, God graces Paul with encouragement. And I believe He graces each and every one of us with encouragement. So when we're down, what does the Lord do? He does what He did to Paul. He comes to Paul in a vision, and He says, do not be afraid. He says in verse nine, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many people in the city who are my people. What God says is, listen, Paul, your future is bright. I got plans for you and they're good ones. And the plans that I have for you are that you're going to keep doing what you're doing. You're not getting a vacation. And here's the thing. A lot of us, when things get down, we get out. I can't tell you how many times when trouble comes to people at times in our church in the past, the first thing they give up is serving the Lord. And I'm just going to be honest with you, just so we're on the same page, that's the absolute worst thing you can do. The very thing that can bring you encouragement, the very thing that God uses as a mechanism for encouraging you, many of our people say, yeah, you know what, I got time for football, but ministry, (laughs) I'm just too down for it is this, this hurting too much. And I get it. I can't tell you how many times I've written a letter of resignation and said, this is the week. I'm out of here. And God says, you're a fool. Keep serving me because that's the best place you're going to find the encouragement that you need. And I'll tell you what, he's absolutely right. And so we've got to recognize God's got plans for us. So he says, keep serving me. Keep serving me. Be bold. Do not be silent. And here's what I'm going to do for you. No one's going to touch you. No one's going to attack you. No one's going to harm you. No one's going to hurt you. You're going to have real opportunities moving forward to serve and honor me. And we need to recognize that, that God gives us that promise. Now, does he give us the promise that bad will never happen? No. But he gives us the promise that he will always be with us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. That's good enough for me, right? And that should be good enough for all of us. God encourages Paul and tells him to do what? To continue the fight. And that's what Paul does. He continues. He shares the gospel. He's rejected by the synagogue and this is really humorous. I think he does it out of frustration. Paul leaves the synagogue and he goes right next door and he starts a church. <laughs> And Christmas, the synagogue ruler, he gets saved. And Titius, justice, he gets saved. And God begins to do a work in the life of the people of Corinth. And God wants to do that work in us. He continues to work to make a living. He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't ever grumble about where he's at with the Lord. He doesn't say, this is stupid, God. He continues the fights. And here's why. God's always faithful. And if you walk away with anything today, in your broken, downhearted spirit, recognize this. When you are down, God's always up. When life is tough, God's always winning. And God says, listen, Paul, I got many people in this city. What that tells us is God knows who's getting saved long before we do. And have you ever thought of what God is seeing in your neighborhood in your workplace in your school of the people that God says I already got them I just need you to go tell them about it I've already uh, been working in their life and and I've got many people in this city and all you need to do is go and and share the good news of Jesus Christ and they're gonna be saved and you're gonna be able to be a part of it and so we see God has the power to change lives and he has the power not only to change your life, but the lives of those you get to reach out to. But I want you to notice one more thing, and I'll close. God has the power to change governing authorities. So Paul gets in trouble in Corinth. And at the latter part of this passage, he goes before the pro-council. Here we go again, brought before the authorities. He's going to beat me and imprison me. Gallio's his name. And Gallio goes, and, and the Jewish people are all angry at Paul, like they always are, except this time, because of the promise of God and the work of God, Gallio responds and says, listen, no one's touching Paul. You don't get to mess with Paul. Because what Paul's doing, I see this as just a little Jewish sk- uh, skirmish, I'm not going to involve myself in this, which enabled Paul to stay in Corinth for 18 months Preaching the gospel and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, but more even more important than that in some ways Paul got the respite he needed for his soul and he never went on vacation He never gave up the work he was doing, but he trusted God that when he was low God would raise him up and he did and as we close if you find yourself down today Know and understand, God wants to raise you up. And God wants to lift you up out of that darkness, out of that burden, out of that struggle. And He wants you to do it so that, and we learn this from Corinthians as well, He does that so that when Paul runs into people who are discouraged and downtrodden and broken, he may be able to share with them the comfort that he received from God when he was broken himself. And so God's got you going through these things, not to leave you there, but to raise you up, so that when you find another who is in the same spot that you once found yourself in, that you can share the comfort of what it's like to be encouraged by God himself as you share the good news of Jesus Christ with the broken around you.